Hello, hello. Hey, how are you doing? Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? I can, I can. How you doing, Chris? Cool, cool. Good, good. How about yourself? How's everything? Can't complain. Just uh, another day, another sunny, sunny day in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah. Yes, well, sir. Can't complain. Nice. It's, actually, it's actually starting to, to cool down over here. It used to be um, in the high, like, well, even high, high hundreds, like high hundred tens, like even up to, I think the hottest I've ever been in was like 119. Um, and now it's like in the eighties. So much more manageable. <laughs> yeah. 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 80, nice, nice and cool eighties. Right. Is there, is there, would you, uh, would you prefer to stay off camera or do you want to, do you want to do something like face to face? Uh, what do you prefer? I mean, uh, I'm cool with whatever here. Let me see what I can do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a position, I, I probably should have let you know. Um, I, I usually do it with cam with camera if, if possible. If not, then no big deal, though. Okay. Let me see. All Gucci. How are you doing? Can you see me? Uh, I, I just can. don't have a stand. Let me, let me try to get a stand for you, all right? One second. All good. Let me change the full screen, right? where are you at right now oh uh, i'm at my office right now in oakland oh, okay cool does nick work there too uh yeah he's not in today that was just me oh, okay cool man how's it going good 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 yeah i'm just kind of all scrapped up i've been uh, working on some projects this morning. So, what what projects? Uh, well, we're doing some commercial remodeling and just moving material around for the workers and just making sure everything's running uh, on time. Cool. No, good to hear, man. Well, I appreciate you joining the call. Um, I'm I'm gonna like intro you like aside from like this recorded call. I'm just gonna write something nice to to say about you and just kind of <laughs> segue into uh, what we're gonna be talking about today. Nice, so. Nice. Yeah, so I, I just figured we could start off by um, having you introduce yourself, you know, and how you got invested in real estate. Like, why is that the um, preferred career choice for you? Uh, so first off, yeah, my name is Chris, and uh, real estate actually wasn't my preferred career choice. I kind of just ended okay. up in it, and as I, uh, throughout my 20s, I experimented with a lot of different career paths, uh, one of them being cooking, and ended up going back into real estate. Uh, my family has always been a part of real estate. And so naturally growing up, I wanted to do the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I realized that real estate is, in my opinion, the ultimate platform to uh, kind of get the financial freedom that I wanted to live in the Bay Area, considering how expensive it is to live here. Sure. Um, it also provided me with the lifestyle that I really wanted, which is uh, financial freedom. I mean, I'm not there yet, but that is my ultimate goal. And being a cook or a chef or a, or a musician simply was not going to provide that for me. I mean, it could have been, it would have been kind of like winning the lottery. You know what I mean? Not really. Mm -hmm. uh, as certain, well, there is no certainty in real estate for sure. It's still very difficult and it's not easy by no means necessary. But uh, it definitely opened up a lot more opportunity for me to be able to navigate and uh, get the financial goals that I wanted to achieve. Sure. Yeah. I mean, being a, a cook or a, a musician, it feels like yeah. it's either you're barely scraping by or you're famous and you're making a ton of money. There's not a whole lot of like in between. <laughs> it, it, well, it, I'll, I'll tell you that it's like, uh, what is that? You, you, you live like a king on a joker's wage, right? Like a you party and you drink like you're a rock star and you work <laughs> grueling hours, but you're really just broke all the time. Fake it till you make it, I guess. Right. I guess. <laughs> Except I, I, you barely ever make it, I guess. I mean, uh, I mean, that's my experience with it, but you know, sure. it, is what it is. Sure. Well, you mentioned that your family was in real estate. I, I would imagine that has probably played a, a pretty big role in why you got involved as well. Well, so going back to how I started originally, um, I was about 22, 23, and uh, my father passed away about like 20 years ago, and he left us seven, like around $75,000, uh, $35,000 for me, and then the rest for my brother, and I was 23, and I was really trying to figure out what to do, and I was just going to utilize it to go to culinary school, 
and try to get into cooking and uh, pay for my tuitions and stuff like that. And even then it was $40,000 a year for culinary school in upstate New York. So that wouldn't even have been enough. Wow. Uh, and uh, at that time I was working with my mom, but I really just didn't care. I had a really uh, horrible, can, can I swear on here? Sure. <laughs> I, I had a really shitty mentality uh, as a young 21 year old. I really wanted to do everything myself. I really didn't want any help. I really didn't want any handouts whatsoever. And I kind of wanted to learn the hard way. And I, looking back at it, yeah, it's okay then, but it was kind of foolish. And, you know, my mom's like, hey, why don't you take uh, you and your brother's money and put in some real estate? And again, I've always wanted to do the exact opposite of what mom did, just being stubborn like that. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, just being like a Parent late teens. Right, right, right. Um, I was like, okay, well, what should I do? And she says, well, you know what? You're going to have to learn on your own. You know, I'll guide you north. I'll point north and you just keep going that way. And then you'll figure it out on your own. And I think that was the best thing she could have ever done for me. She just kind of said, hey, look, go that way and mm -hmm. figure, figure it out, right? And that's exactly what I did. Uh, we, uh, she put me in contact with a realtor. I had 75000 uh, Half of it was my brother's and half of it was mine. And we just started hunting. This is like three or four years post 2008. So okay. deals are still what, on the market. <laughs> yeah. So we were looking at houses in the sub $80,000 mark uh, to buy in cash. And believe it or not, there was a ton of properties on the market in Richmond and Oakland and uh, El Cerrito and places like that in the East Bay. Wait, you said sub 80K? Sub 80K. A for, lot. A down, yeah. for a down payment or for the no, property? No, no, no. The whole property. The property wow. was valued at $70,000. But we had to go, well, not me, the realtor had to go in there with a the gun. I mean, I'm not going to say his name because that's illegal, but there's like squatters. There are people who are smoking crack. You'll Jesus. find like heroin needles. And it looked like a real haunted house. And they were always in very <laughs> dangerous neighborhoods. So I was like 23 and we'd go in there. I was like fearless and I, very stupid and didn't know anything. So I thought I was like invincible. Little did I know, like I was really, I shouldn't have belonged in those areas, period. Um, right. So after months and months of going to different houses from DP East Oakland to Bay Point, and uh, I ended up in a pocket called the Iron Triangle of mm. Richmond, yep. which is notoriously uh, dangerous. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just use your imagination. You probably won't be too far off of what it is. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been there very, very momentarily, but I've been there. <laughs> yeah, within, within that, that segment, that's, that's probably a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so again, full. There was a full economic collapse in 2008, and neighborhoods like the Iron Triangle definitely mm -hmm. take a long time to rebound. Sure. So, so I bought, um, I bought this property for $65,000 in cash. And it was, I mean, it, the whole thing needed to be ripped apart, gutted, electrical, plumbing, painting, uh, the foundation was cracked, landscaping, exterior, roof, every, everything, everything, everything. And I managed to get it flipped for $40,000. Uh, just by pulling, uh, when you're in a Latino family, like uh, you know, your cousin's cousin is like this person, your cousin's cousin is like a plumber. And so I kind of just utilized that the best that I could, because I literally knew nobody at the time. And I was just navigating blindly. And uh, long story short, I would negotiate with family members and cousins that were skilled and I'd be like, hey, look, I can't really pay you that much right now. I'll give you 40, 000, like a 40%. And on the back end, when I sell this, I will give you the balance plus interest, right? Kind of okay. like, um, and I, since it was in, paid in cash, I didn't have to worry about the monthly mortgage. So sure. I could wait. I, yeah. I could, you know, pause the project, continue the project uh, as, as much as I could and navigate as long as I was kind of moving forward with uh, pooling connections that I had in order to get this deal done. Uh, long story short, I rented it out and then I became a line cook and did that for a handful of years. And 
since line cooking paid $13 an hour at the time, there was no way I was going to live off that. So I subsidized everything from the income that I had on the property, which was paying me $1,300 a month. Okay. Um, so, uh, sorry, let me interrupt there. So you were, you, you were renting out the property while you were renovating it or how, how did you? How no, did no, you... no, no, no. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I finished the renovation and then okay. I rented it out for $1,300. Gotcha. Right? Okay. And then uh, I told all the people that helped me work with it. Hey, look, I'm going to pay you through the monthly rental, like a couple hundred dollars here, here, here. And then when we close escrow, I'll pay you after escrow. Okay. Um, and it was all done by handshakes. So there was no formality behind it whatsoever. Not that I even knew how to do it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> how much did you end up spending on all those renovations? 40,000, 40,000. On, on the dot. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, this was like eight years ago, seven sure. years ago. So I, it was I around there. Yeah, it was around there. And, but that was, um, so you, but you only had 35,000. That was for the, 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 um, the, so I, the down payment, right? There was no down payment. The oh, oh my goodness. Right. Right, right. You you bought it out right, but so you borrowed money from your your family members, correct? And then you said that you're going to pay them back. Well, yeah, like yeah, like cousins or like friends of the family. They, they were skilled tradespeople, so I was like kind of bartering for uh, or negotiating for their labor and telling oh, them, like, I try, see. To, I see. try to convince okay. them, like, hey, look, if you do this plumbing project, I'll give you 40 percent of of uh, up front, and then I'll pay you when I when I sell when I close right, the deal. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. That so that's how that worked out. And then I became a line cook. And then uh, that took up like three or four years of, of my 20s. And uh, the only way I survived that is because I was collecting rental income sure. from the property here in Richmond. Um, and you were living where during that time? So I was living with my girlfriend at the time in San Francisco. And uh, we were just splitting the rent in the, like, like really crappy studio in San okay. Francisco. Yeah. Um. And then, so I bought that for 60,000 and put 40 into it, sold it for 180 and then paid everybody back. And I walked away with like 35,000, $40,000 in my pocket. Nice. Yeah. Been over four years. So it was, our, it was, it was good. It was good. Um, but one of the most important things that I realized during my first deal is understanding how to uh, do your taxes and, you think that because you sell it for $180,000, there's a bunch of closing costs, especially depending on what city you're in, sure. what state you're in, what actually hits your pocket at the end of the day. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but going back to that first project, it, it was quite the adventure because I remember when we were in escrow, uh, I had to pay people to live inside the property and sleep with bats because people would come in, open up the sheetrock and then take out all the copper and all the plumbing. <laughs> And it was such a nightmare that I, I I thought it was like the end. I was like, I'm over. Like, I'm done. I'm dead. I don't know. I don't have the money to repay for this. I don't have the money to, to cover this. Thankfully, uh, the realtor came in and saved the day and said, hey, look, I'll, I'll, I will pay for this up front. And then you could reimburse me through escrow. So mm -hmm. I didn't know what that meant. I just said, yeah. And then because uh, it was my only option, to tell you the truth. And I just went from there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder what it's like being like a real estate agent in those areas. Like, was, was he focused primarily on that or was he just a friend that was helping you out in that particular space? No, no, no. So, so, so he is like a family friend. His name is Frank and I really owe him a lot. He was there for me in the beginning of my investment career. That sounds weird to say like, like investment career. <laughs> um, but he, yeah, he helped me out a lot. Um, he really, looking back in hindsight, he barely made any money off that. We're like 3%, 4% off 75,000, 65,000, whatever it was, is like nothing for yeah. the amount of effort that went into it. Mm -hmm. And he, he's the one that kind of guided me and him and his son invest in the same area. So he was the one kind of saying, hey, you know, maybe you should get this. Maybe you shouldn't get that. But in hindsight, like if I would have bought any of those properties, and held on to them until like three years ago, I would have made plenty of money. And now that property that I sold back in 2014 for 180,000 is worth $400,000 now. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. It just goes to, goes to show sometimes, I mean, you still made money. You learned from that experience, but the reality is yeah. that like holding for the long term will almost inevitably yield higher returns. Yeah, a hundred percent. But I think it's really important. You're, you're right. But I, uh, from my perspective, I think that 
from doing a bunch of transactions in the beginning and like maybe you're not making as much like you're not you wouldn't be netting like to two hundred thousand dollars but you'd be uh gaining experience sure. from networking from dealing with escrows from navigating taxes cpas uh, realtors mortgage brokers mm-hmm. city inspectors and so forth yeah. and project management that is worth more than your gains i think uh, yeah i agree especially if you're in your 20s that knowledge that you pick up through just experience and, and mileage mm-hmm. is way worth it's worth its weight oh, i mean i guess there's no weight on it but it's worth it's worth it it's worth it it's uh yep and if you didn't go to college, that's your college tuition right there. You're paying to learn as you go sure. and you're making, and you're making money. I completely agree with you. I, I feel like when I purchased my property back in February, I had the same experience there. It, it was something where they, they, you just really can't learn that in a four year, with a four year degree. You it's can't. Just not- no, you can't. You absolutely cannot. And I mean, you could, there's so many resources out there now, like YouTube being a big one. Yep, but there's nothing like analyzing your own deal and closing, getting paid, realizing where you made a mistake, adapting, pivoting, and then moving forward, making another mistake, and then adapting it, and then moving forward, and so on and so on. Right. And, you know, after your fourth, after your fourth or fifth deal, you kind of start you catching your rhythm, catching your flow, your uh, how you approach deals, mm-hmm. your investment style. And you end up building your team. Uh, you shift the realtors if necessary, CPAs, mortgage brokers, so forth and so forth. And uh, mm-hmm. people, you know, you start introducing yourself. And, you know, uh, it's, it's great to have your first deal. It's really important. But when you start approaching people uh, in terms of like uh, h- higher tier, I guess, realtors that work with investors, and they ask you, how many deals have you worked with? And, you know, if you say one, or two sometimes it could be really mean and say hey well we only you know like you're too small for us and i've had i've been rejected by a lot of people and now when you get past the fourth or fifth or sixth deal they, you know they start paying a little bit more attention to you. sure yeah that all makes sense and it sounds to me like you started off in a pretty rough neighborhood, pretty small, like not knowing what you're doing. But what was your idea? Like, did you feel like at this point, like after this first deal that you wanted to continue doing this moving forward? So I, uh, w- <sighs> yes, but it's kind of, it was kind of a weird way to get to that point where I realized like, Hey, look, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I really wanted to do it is uh, I really wanted to have uh, stability in my life and have uh, a strong relationship with my now wife and be able to provide and not, you know, make 13 or 14 or $15 an hour, sure. basically grinding myself down. So my motivation was to be able to uh, have some sort of steady income and be able to buy a home one day. So that was my motivation and why I stopped cooking. And once I got like that first taste of like, hey, look, and I made like 30 grand or 40 grand. Uh, this is pretty good. You know, I, I just made what I made in like a couple months and what I've been killing myself for for the past year. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it felt great. And I decided that I needed to move forward with this. And this was like the best thing I could do for my future. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. You mentioned taxes being something that you wanted to learn more about or that you didn't have a great understanding of during your first deal. Did you take the profits from that property, invest them in another one? Or what did you do afterwards? Or did you pocket the cash? So uh, <laughs> that's funny. Um, on my first deal, I actually entered a 1031 exchange, foolishly not really understanding what I was doing. And only because um, the escrow officer and the 1031 exchange intermediary was mm-hmm. a friend. She was able to pull me out and actually before the actual documents were recorded, we canceled it. I just paid the 10 grand or whatever it was on capital gains. And then I sat on the cash and then I moved forward. I see. Um, this was in 2015. And then in 2015 is when uh, I started picking up more seriously in investing I went over to Fairfield and then basically did the same thing I did in Richmond. Uh, and I started realizing that my net, my net gains were 
not where I needed them to be for the amount of work that I was putting into and then comparing mm-hmm. other people out there that were putting their their deals on the market or analyzing their deals or breaking down their deals on like YouTube or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I realized I was doing something wrong. Sure. Uh, what I was doing wrong was I really wasn't paying attention to taxes and saying that out loud, like, yeah, that's very foolish of me and very stupid. <laughs> um, so I really figured out now that it's not only about analyzing the deal and uh, cash flows and your network, but it's also you're doing business with the IRS. The mm-hmm. IRS does take a huge amount of your of your gains if you let them. And therefore, after my fourth deal, I started going into the 1031 exchange. Um, one thing is that, you know, at a surface level, 1031 exchange does seem very, you know, like, why wouldn't you do this? Mm-hmm. But a lot, you have to understand that you're deferring your gains. You're basically going into a bar, running up a tab. And then when you die, that tab's erased, right? But you can't access that cash without it being subject to capital gains, unless if you build up your equity position and sure. refi it out. But, you know, that's a whole different conversation. So you could build up hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars in deferred, in deferred capital gains, but mm-hmm. you really don't have access to it because you have to reinvest it uh, on another property. And when you get yeah. into the level of investment, most banks that deal with investors, that if you want like a, a prime rate, you have to put like 30% down, 35% down. Wow. Okay. So it transfers over, right? And then you have to buy in, into properties that cash flow. And that's when you get your cash in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Right. For, for those listeners that don't know what a 1031 exchange is, do you mind elaborating on that? Okay. So I will try to simplify it as best as I can. A 1031 exchange means that uh, I buy a property for $100,000. And then, you know, two years later, I sell it for $200,000. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's just say I, bought, I paid for it. I paid, I put down uh, 50%. So I put $50,000 down and uh, I'm selling it for $200,000 and I made $100,000. I come to a crossroads and the IRS is like, hey, you made $100,000. Congratulations. Option one, you pay us between 23 to 30%, depending on what tax bracket you're on. And then you get the net proceeds and you move on and the cash goes in your pocket. So you end up walking away with like $170,000 all day. Um, or 160,000, some, somewhere around there. Or option B would be you don't pay any capital gains, but none of the money goes in your pocket. Mm-hmm. All the money gets transferred into the next building, but the next building has to be the same price at what you sold your previous one or greater. Mm-hmm. So I now need to buy a property that's worth at least $200,000 and I need to keep going. And if I decide in 10 years after I did property one, property two, property three, because it's all chained up. It's one big running tab. If I decide to pull out, the IRS is like, oh, well, we've been keeping tabs. Here's your bill. And that bill could be you know, gigantic. It could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it could totally ruin, ruin you if you haven't planned accordingly to pay that big tab at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I would, I would um, compare it to instead of pocketing your salary, putting in, into a 401k and deferring the taxes until you pull them out at retirement. Would you say that's a, a fair analysis or fair comparison? So, so, so uh, my, to be honest, I really don't know much about 401ks. I don't have one. Uh, oh, okay. I guess my, so, yeah. so in other words, like you, instead of taking like, so on, on every, every month, obviously you're going to get a paycheck, right? Or two. Um, and then from that, paycheck a portion of that if you elect to put it into your 401k it's not taxed it's it's put into your 401k and you don't get taxed until you like actually uh, realize the profits when you retire so that's it sounds something similar except you're not bound to to retirement with the 1031 exchange it's just when you sell the property and want to actually take the profits from that that's when you would have to pay capital gains yeah, you'd be paying capital gains, but remember though, if you are in like your fifth building of your 1031 exchange chain, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to pay for all five buildings in the past. So what happens if you what happens if you if if you die? Would that would that be something that would be passed on to like your kin? So so from my experience, because I'm not there yet and I hope not to be for a long time, but uh it, it gets erased, but again. 
there's like death tax and and then uh, when you transfer all that kind of stuff i i really don't know what happens at the end um everyone consult I, your cpas don't worry about yeah, taking giving yeah, you any yeah. financial advice here <laughs> exactly 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 uh so right now i'm in my uh third 1031 exchange and then through work i've dealt with several of them so they they can get kind of complicated depending on how on on what you're doing and what strategy you're trying to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, I am actually in the middle of a 1031 exchange and I, I'm hoping to close this deal because I just ended up selling uh, this property in East Oakland that went really well. And if, and if you want to talk about it, you know, we could talk about that as well. Yeah, I wanted to, to pivot because it sounded like initially you're investing in single family residencies and then you made the switch to, to multifamily. Yeah. Yeah. Why, 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 the, why the switch? Okay, so um, it was both good and bad. I, I think I was just so, uh, uh, the allure of having multiple units kind of got the best of me. And I was like, wow, if I own a duplex, I'll have two doors and two revenue streams and then, uh, so forth and so forth rather than having one home. And so I didn't really in the beginning know how to analyze them. And I, and I just kind of looked at my expenses and my, and my uh, overhead cost and trying to calculate my NOI. And so I bought my first duplex and I ended up losing $40,000 on that property. And it was in East Oakland. Um, The reason why is because I completely underestimated rent control in a city like Oakland. And I thought, hey, I can negotiate the tenants and uh, get them out and pay them to leave. But, you know, if they don't want to leave, then you're pretty much screwed. And if they never leave, or if they're there for a very long time, you're pretty much stuck in the water. Um, and that's what happened to me. Um, and to answer your question, I think that multifamily homes are the best way to scale and generate multiple cash stream revenues, like how you're doing with house hacking. Mm-hmm. But in this way, you know, uh, the single family homes, like if you want to replace the roof, it's going to cost you about like $10,000, right? And you only have a amount of, and it covers your single family home, obviously. But if you have multiple units, and let's just say you have a fourplex or a fiveplex or six or six or whatever. You could also depreciate those. And if you open up an LLC, you could mm-hmm. write that off against your expenses and so forth. And I honestly think that during like uh, when it, it, let's just say that you're not house hacking and you rent it out to a single family, you rent out your single family home to a family and they move out, right? The expenses come out of your pocket, unless if you flip it and get somebody in there really quick. With a fourplex, one person leaves you have three other units of floating. Yeah, that, that all makes sense. It just, it, and it's, it's also too something where if you have multiple doors or more, multiple units, realistically, you're going to be making more money than if you would just have a large single family property, correct? Exactly. exactly. Right. And it's, it's also, well, but the, the, the con to that is that there's more risk because there's more people, correct? Like how do you like account for, like the liabilities that are related to that investment. So you, it's a little bit complicated because you have to understand your demographic. And like, for example, with my experience in East Oakland, you really have to be careful what you're getting yourself into. Um, You have to understand local laws. You have to understand uh, rent controls if they apply. For example, in California now, the whole state is rent controlled, but in cities like Berkeley, uh, San Francisco or Oakland, they have like an iron grip on their rent control. So uh, you need to understand what kind of people you're getting into, the gro- the population growth, um, demographics, and uh, let me see. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm just really trying to think here. Hmm. It, it, it's It's... I'm kind of having like a like I've just so many things running through my mind. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, so going back to the fourplex and understanding what I'm getting into. Actually, can you repeat that question? I'm sorry. Um, well, I, I was asking you about the liabilities yeah. that are increased by having more tenants, right? Versus just having like one single family. Versus having oh, yeah. six six individual units with six different people that are living there, the liabilities that are, are how do you account for that? 
how, how do I account for it? I mean, I just got to make sure you have really good insurance. I think that the more people, the more liability there is naturally. People mm -hmm. tend to do stupid things all the time. Like I've dealt with people like burning their kitchens down. I've dealt with people uh, just abusing other people's personal spaces and so forth and so mm -hmm. forth. I just have to incorporate that in part of like uh, something that I have to part of dealing with it and doing business. And it, it, it just is one of those things that is just part of the nature of getting into multifamily sure. properties and scaling up. Uh, there's mm -hmm. always going to be that, that what if variable, that sure. possibility that this person is going to be doing this, mm -hmm. or uh, this person is, for example, doing drugs or smoking meth inside the apartment, you know, like that's kind of crazy stuff where this person refuses to pay the rent because a, a b and c right it's, sure and you, always... you manage these these properties yourself or these people yourself correct uh, yeah 100 percent. so a rule so what have you learned from like that I, I would imagine there's a lot to learn from being in that scenario where you're you're managing individuals and what they're doing in in your property like what have you learned from that experience so I, i've dealt with it's really important to understand that um at the end of the day, these people are what are paying your mortgage and paying your rent or paying for your living uh, expenses. So I think that it's, uh, as long as you're respectful and kind of understanding and have a good communication with your tenants, then people are less reluctant to be kind of aggressive. There's always like that one uh, mm -hmm. bad apple, if you want to put it that way, that sure. just want a bunch. Mm -hmm. But I've learned that... Uh, just treating them how you wanted to be treated is very important uh, with limitations, obviously. And that the product that someone like me provides is housing. And I always say that housing is like the most intimate product you could ever uh, produce or manage. Sure. Because, because that's where people yeah, create memories in life or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. uh, so as long as they feel happy there, and as long as you are present and not like a slumlord, uh, people sure. are more, uh, from my experience, they talk to you and if they have some financial hardship, they are not really intimidated by your presence and they talk to you like, Hey, like, you know, I'm going to be falling behind because, you know, my wife's sick and my, it's my daughter's birthday or whatever, whatever happens in life. Mm -hmm. And as long as you work together as a team, more than not, there's always a solution to it. And um, that has been my experience with it. Of course, there's been people that are just really difficult to deal with or people that, you know, lie on their applications or people that are just malicious. Uh, for example, we've had people that uh, we've gotten a lot, like two-year legal entanglements with because they are hoarders, um, squatters, I mean, mm -hmm. and they were professional, professional squatters. Right. Whatever that yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's definitely been an experience for me. Yeah. Well, what I don't want to do is dissuade people from making those investments because it's something that anybody can do if they are motivated to do so. So for the person that's a little bit worried or concerned about investing in multifamily for those reasons that you've shared, like what is one piece of advice you would, you would give them? Well, <laughs> I, I, I really don't know how to answer that because I think that if that is a lot of where your margins come from, like if you put your money down on a property and you want to make money off of it in the future, I think that it's part of the process of doing the hard work. It's just, if you want to just buy the property and hire a management company, mm -hmm. that's fine. I've never dealt with a management company. I just simply don't trust uh, someone to have the as good or as the best interest for my investment as myself. Sure. So yeah. I am hands-on on everything and I, I just don't have, uh, don't never had that perspective. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think I could be able to provide the right advice, but I, the only thing I could really say is that, uh, if you really want to do it, like that's where your margins are. If you manage the property yourself, mm -hmm. if you take care of the property yourself, you're going to have to get your hands dirty, especially in sure. the beginning. Maybe yeah. when you, maybe when you scale up and you make enough, uh, enough on your margins you could hire somebody that you trust but you know i, I don't think that i would ever even if i got to like uh, 30 units on my own portfolio 40 units and like 40 units in the bay area is a lot right like you go to anywhere else like yeah you can scale there relatively faster than you could in the bay area but sure. i would always be at one point involved um 
you know, I've had phone calls at two in the morning, three in the morning. Hey, my, my, you know, pipe exploded or something like that. Or uh, right. I've, even had, I've even had people, Hey, look, uh, my boyfriend came in and uh, you know, clogged my toilet. <laughs> uh, I showed up really upset and I was like, you know, what? I'm not going to deal with this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's just part of the, it's part of the game. And I think that if, if I think it's absolutely necessary. And if, uh, if you're not willing to do that, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Sure. Yeah, well, it's definitely going to be a time investment if you're looking to have that be such a large source of income. It's different if you have a couple of units to manage versus 40 units, obviously, but it seems like you're doing this full time, correct? So, yeah, I've gotten to the point where I'm finally doing it full time and um, I'm happy to be at this point right now. But Mm -hmm. now it's just like a different tier where I have a lot more responsibility and now I have uh, employees that I need to make sure get paid on time and have um, consistent income. Right. And um, do, you, do you see yourself continuing to invest in California? Because it sounds to me like the regulations in that state are off the charts. So do you mind elaborating on that? <laughs> I'm kind of glad you asked this question because uh, when I started, I always, and I still somewhat do believe that if I can't manage it, physically myself or if i can't drive to it then stay away from it right that's worked out for me up to this point and i at this point i'm feeling the tremendous amount of pressure of overpaying for properties right overpaying uh taxes going up the barrier to entry in different multifamily or commercial properties is constantly growing um i am now actually strongly considering going out of state or maybe going uh, outside of metropolitan areas in California. Um, do I really know exactly what I want to do with that? I do not, but I definitely want to keep and maintain that uh, uh, that thesis that I have where if I can't manage it myself, then I'm not going to buy it. And sure. uh, I, I really don't know right now, but I do know that in the next coming years, it's going to be very interesting what happens here in the state. Um, the Bay Area specifically has been extremely competitive, and I think I've had a healthy growth rate, but I don't think I'm growing as fast as I need to in order to keep up with the pace that's going on up here. Sure. I mean, the, it's not just even in the Bay Area. I mean, I would imagine the Bay Area is exploding right now in terms of prices and taxes and whatnot, but it's pretty much everywhere right now across <laughs> the board, and I'm sure you're, you're well aware of how crazy the real estate market is today. So, so but Vegas, Vegas is wide open for you whenever you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's always um, definitely years and it's definitely been on my radar. So we'll see how it goes. I just can't spend all my gains at the blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, um, the, that's the, the trouble of being here. Yeah. So one thing that I will say is I live in Oakland and Oakland has been well to me in terms of investing, but uh, on my way to work, I always stop. I have to go through some rough neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and um, I'm always kind of like looking around and see what's on the market. And to give you an example of how crazy it is here, there's single-family homes with bars on their windows. Uh, if you look on crime maps, you'll see shootings and uh, armed robbery and everything. The whole the whole nine yards or whatever. Sure. And those homes are going for six hundred fifty thousand, seven hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it's insane. That that is, I don't think that's right. By no means necessary. I think that uh, something needs to happen to change all that. Uh, what it is, I do not know. But I know that what's going on right now is just not a healthy market. Sure. Well, given that we, it feels like we've been at the peak of the market for the past year now. <laughs> it just, uh, it just feels years like- in the. 12 years into the 10 year cycle, right? <laughs> sure. Like it just, it just never feels like anything could stunt the growth of our, our stock market and of our real estate market, given that it feels like we are approaching some form of correction. Like, how are you preparing yourself for that? Uh, yeah, great. Uh, I'm actually currently dealing with that right now. And uh, going back to what you just said, uh, you could have bought a shanty that was burned down in any city in the Bay area five years ago and let it sit, did nothing. And you would have made like a hundred to $200,000, whatever. Uh, Mm -hmm. With that being said, moving forward, it's really important within the next year to to make sure that you're getting yourself into a position where you're just going to sit there 
and ride it out. What's going to happen, I don't know, but I know that it can't continue to go on the way that it's been going on in the past 10 years. Um, so with my next deal, typically I turn over, turn over properties in two years and I move on and move on, move on, move on. Uh, this time, I think, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not going to be doing that. I'm going to be holding on. I'm going to buy something that has stronger cash flows. It might not appreciate as fast or it might depreciate from what I bought it at now, but I'm going to write it out. Okay. And are you, are you putting anything away towards that? Are you staying liquid? Are you in the markets? Like what are, where's the majority of your assets? So, so because I'm, because of my 1031 exchange, I can't really be liquid in terms of my positions on real estate because if I sell and not move forward, or if I move forward in the collapsed economy, not that I'm saying that's what's going to happen, mm -hmm. I would have to pay a tremendous amount of tax. So what I'm looking for is cash flow streams and putting aside cash uh, as best as I can. Okay. And my and my wife and me, uh, we work as a team. Uh, I invest in the, the properties, and she helps me renovate them. And she has uh, like a she works in tech, so uh, I help build up the equity, and she helps cash cash streams. You hear that, everyone? Save your money. Something's coming. We don't know when. We don't yeah, know how. No, 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 Something's yeah. coming. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Something is coming. Exactly. We don't know. And I'm not going to talk like I know exactly what's going to happen. And, you know, there's a boogeyman out there with inflation and sure. all, all these. And the US, the U.S. running out of money, literally, like in yeah, the next few yeah, weeks. Literally, yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. But, you know, uh, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to you know pretend like nothing is like this is too good to be true. Right. A real investor is the one that can adapt and pivot. Mm -hmm. through any cycle right you know it, it's easy to make money when the economy is thriving but learn how to make money and save money during you know a recession or mm -hmm. through an economic collapse that's when you sure. get in the pressure cooker and that's when you adapt and overcome and that in my opinion that's when you learn the most sure and they they say that that millionaires are are made during those economic collapses or, or corrections because they're able to capitalize on everything on sale yeah, exactly. For example, go back to my point of entry, right? My point of entry, buying a house for $65,000 in the Bay Area, like mm -hmm. you would, you would have never believed that now. Yeah, I, I was, I literally thought that, that you were talking about the down payment. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, exactly. That's not even enough for a down payment anymore. <laughs> no, it isn't. Unless no. you're, unless you're looking at like a 10, five to 10% down payment. Which, yeah, exactly. I mean, and for those of out there that are looking to buy homes right now mm -hmm. and are trying to do FHA loans and have sub 10%, wait, don't buy right now. You're going to be overpaying right now. And mm -hmm. if the economy goes down two points or three points and you only put five, five percent down, you're going to have a two or three percent equity position if that. You know, you don't yeah. want to be in that position. doesn't make and sense. It's very it difficult to find a good deal right you're, now. You're buying at the top of the market. Be patient. And if you're young, you have times on your side. You know, sure. keep collecting money, keep working your job, put money aside, and the opportunity will present itself. Absolutely. It might not be now, but it will be, you know, five, seven years. Mm -hmm. If you get yourself in a problem right now, look at, learn from the people that did that in 2008. Sure. You, you know, a recurring theme that keeps coming up in this conversation is taxes. Mm -hmm. How do you find a good CPA? I'm like, I'm, I'm so, still looking for one too, yeah, myself. So, so, so uh, <laughs> You have to, like, there is, it, it's like a, this, akin to dating, right? Like, you go on a date and you want a first date, it's really awkward. Hey, what do you like? Of course, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. The same thing applies <laughs> to realtors. Sure. The same thing applies to mortgage brokers, and especially not a CPA. They're not going to tell you what you don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. So, I just think it comes with experience. There is no, you know, like one and done solution where, okay, like, this is, this is it. Like, this is my CPA. Until you actually work with them mm -hmm. and you do a transaction with them and you see how they work and how they hustle. You know, if, they, if they're not returning your phone calls or if they are, you know, slow at returning your emails, that's an indicator to move on. Sure. D did you find your CPA through a website or was it through a, a, conne a connection? So I, I've, I've dealt with actually like four CPAs in the past five years. And I, I think that I'm, I found the one that I'm working with where is, there is some kind of communication uh, that I wish would be a little bit faster, you know, not everything can be perfect, but I think I'm, I found it, but that goes to show you 
the first, I, when I got my first CPA, I was like, wow, this is my CPA. You know, I did one transaction. I was like, okay, no, th- this guy's done. Like I need to go find someone else. <laughs> and the same thing applies to realtors. Like uh, how many realtors are out there now? And if uh, I know plenty of realtors that are really great and I respect them tremendously. And I also know more realtors that are really shitty. And I'm like, wow, well, how the hell did you get your realtor license? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, I, well, real I, estate I, licenses, it just feels like there's not a whole lot of correlation to the real world when you're taking an online test, right? Well, hundred percent. Like, you know, you could answer the questions online, but, you know, get thrown in an escrow that, you know, when the shit hits the fan, see how you navigate that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, I agree. Because, because things get chaotic during escrow and, you know, a seller yeah. or a buyer or a tenant, when there's tenants involved, things get kind of crazy. Yeah, right now is definitely not amateur hour. That's for sure. I mean, no, with, no, no. With, with real estate properties going for 10, 15, even $50,000 over asking price. <laughs> like, it's just not, you can't that, be a rookie 50, in this no, no, I mean, I was looking at a flip that went $400,000 in cash over asking price. And, uh, I was in the middle of an escrow for refinancing a multifamily deal that I had to get. Um, so, I mean, I, I would love to talk about this. Uh, the fourplex that I just sold, I, I acquired it in 2019. Okay. And it had no occupants on it whatsoever. It was a vacant fourplex. So I paid top dollar because I could reset all the revenue streams in a rent control market and create great amount of cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you buy something that's vacant, for example, like a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex, to get a prime rate, the bank wants to have a history of income on the property, a minimum of four to six months, depending on which bank you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so there was no revenue in the property. It was, there was, it was a vacant, it was a vacant property. Mm-hmm. So my mortgage broker had to find me a non-qualifying mortgage at 6%, right? So I stabilize the property. I find my tenants. I've, I vest them. This is pre-pandemic. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Here's my cash flow. And I'm going to hold on, you know, and pay 6% for six months and then refinance and prove to the bank, hey, look, these tenants are solid. They're paying on the first. I've done these renovations, a new roof, plumbing, whatever, whatever. And, yep. and then and, in, and to interject there, that's like double what the interest rates are right now. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Were, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you have to tie that in until, until when you analyze the deal, you have to understand that, you know, if I paid anywhere else, uh, the same amount and I had tenants in there, you know, dealing with getting those tenants out is a huge, what if variable, what if they don't leave, what mm-hmm. if they've been there for 20 years, what if they're problematic and they only pay $500 a month mm-hmm. when the rent is should be $2,400 a month or $2,300 a month. Um, so anyway, I went into refinance the deal to get out of the 6%, right? Because I stabilized the property. Boom, March 2020 hit. Yeah, I was clear to close. And then the bank pulled up, pulled up, I walked away from the table at the last second. So I was stuck with that property through the pandemic, paying 6%. Thankfully, all the tenants, because I've invested through them carefully and I, and I uh, built a relationship professionally with them. And uh, I was kind to them. So we opened up communication. If there was any turmoil, they'd communicate with me. But the rent was always paid on time. And I that's survived. Huge. That's huge. <laughs> yeah. If I, and, if I, and, I, and I accrued debt, third-party debt from investors to renovate that property. So if they didn't pay, I couldn't pay the bank. I couldn't pay the property taxes. And I couldn't pay the people that, I'm, that I solicited their money for. Yeah. And that would have ruined my relationship with those investors. Sure. Right. And that would have, I mean, literally like, I want to say that the eviction moratorium just ended like yeah, a correct. month ago. So right. theoretically they could have not been paying for over a year. Right. Yeah. And while, while the water bill is like $600 a month or $500 a month or every two months, excuse me, and property taxes and so forth and so forth, all the overhead is tremendous in Oakland. So yeah, it could have, it could have been that could have easily, you know, t- taken me out of the game for a long time. Yeah. But, you know, it's really important that when you get in this game that you are very selective on who you let in because Mm -hmm. you are essentially engaging in a professional relationship with these people. Sure. And where do you find these people? So uh, I posted on Zillow, uh, Realtor.com, Craigslist, so forth. And uh, Mm -hmm. they they approach me digitally and then I invest them through a platform that I have here on my end. 
And then Zillow has a great tenant screening platform as well. And you talk to them. And once you get to do this multiple times, you really have to utilize your your instinct on top of doing your own actual due diligence. Mm -hmm. When you meet somebody, they can be clean and clear on paper. But sure. you feel a little bit weird when you talk to them and they're a little bit awkward, you know, you know, maybe find somebody else. Sure. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's huge. That's going to be huge. The people that are going to be in there, especially in California where the regulations are so difficult to get people you out. Can't get especially, out. Yeah. During the pandemic, like yeah. that just feels like it would be so, so difficult to be able to screen accordingly and make sure that these, these tenants are going to be paying on time and yeah. not destroy your property in the meantime as well. Yep, definitely. Uh, it's very important. It's very, very, very important. I mean, I think that goes without saying. Uh, yeah, it, it's the pandemic has definitely taught me a lot, and it's taught me how to pivot and mm -hmm. understand people, and pretty much moving forward, uh, be more conservative with my investments. What what areas are more? I guess if you want to call it like pandemic proof, but there, you know, like uh, less. Will there always be demand? Yeah, exactly. Where where is there always going to be demand? Uh, I manage, I manage commercial real estate and multifamily real estate. And to give you an idea of how we navigated through it, um, we had a ninety five percent collection rate on all residential units, and then for the commercial, we had like a sixty percent rate. So, <laughs> I mean, do what you want with that information. Yeah, you know, seriously. Yeah. Do you, when, at one point, did you decide that you wanted to have employees? When, when was it too much for just one person to handle? Uh, I think after I got past like six, seven units, I have contractors that I, that I work with, um, uh, with maintenance and paying them and realizing, Hey, look, I, I, I could you know, do without them and pocket the money, but I need to build a team at one point And, um, or else I'm going to be spreading myself too thin. Sure. And when I realize that I'm spreading myself too thin and I am lacking on the service that I provide or the quality of service I provide is when I realize it was time. Like I need to, like, hey, I can afford it. Uh, I'm not uh, providing the best service possible. So I need to do something about this. Sure. You don't have to answer this if you don't feel comfortable with something that I was kind of interested in. So you started off with 35K. Yeah. And one single family property. Yeah. How many, how much in assets do you have under, under management currently um, from, from a real estate perspective and how many units comprise of that or composed of that? So right now, um, no, I, I, I think I will hundred percent answer this. I, I don't mind at all. I okay. think it, um, going back to it, I think it's, uh, it's really important to be transparent with people about this in my opinion. And that way you bounce off each other and, you know, maybe help, each other learn more. Uh, it's very taboo in our culture to talk about money, and that's mm -hmm. fine. But if you're with your friends or colleagues or whatever, I, I think if you open up the dialogue about how much you make, and you know, hey, this worked for me, this worked for you, you know, let's help each other get to where we need to be. Mm -hmm. uh, I I think that's great. So again, okay. I don't mind answering this. Uh, sure. Right now, I am seven hundred thousand dollars in net equity and properties from my 75000 dollars, and that was over the past six years. And okay. right now, I am approaching eight units. I know that doesn't sound like a lot to most people, but in California, in the Bay Area specifically, sure, uh, I think it's a good amount. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, most people will only ever own one home. So especially in the Bay area where it's so competitive and it's so expensive, like yeah. a lot of people can't even, I mean, my generation is screwed. <laughs> like we, yeah, right, right, right now, the, the rates, the, the, the uh, price of housing is going up way faster than how much money people can actually make at one point. So I a hundred, I a hundred percent agree. And you know, it's a little bit of luck. Uh, it's hard work. Uh, the cliches, you want to hear them over and over and over again, but I think mm -hmm. again, opening up the dialogue about money, and networking like for example uh whoever's listening uh you feel free to contact me whenever you want i mean i'm not looking to charge anyone anything i'm always glad to help and navigate sure. the that i can i'll analyze your deal and i'll give you what i think is my best opinion 
Mm-hmm. I think Eric could put my email address on whatever the description yeah. of the episode is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I'm not looking, you know, to make money off anybody. I just gladly, you know, I like to help people the best that I can. Um, and I always learn. I'm, I'm always learning. You know, I, I, I've been wrong. And now I've been wrong more than I've been right. And now I think I'm entering the part of my life where I'm being more right than I am wrong. (laughs) No, I appreciate that. I'm sure the listeners do as well. You mentioned though, that you were open to analyzing their deals and their properties. Yeah. I think the last thing that I wanted to ask you for you to elaborate on was what you look for when you're investing in multifamily properties. Like what are some telltale signs that it's going to be a really good investment for you? So... I, I don't really have like a simple question. I, I obviously you have to do your fundamentals and look at what your costs are going to be, what your comps are. And for example, when you're dealing with multifamily properties, you have to look at what the rent growth is like a, a perfect tool that I like to use. If not, my favorite is rentameter.com. Go on rentameter.com, set up a profile and you can start analyzing addresses and then it'll pull you comps of, of rents between studios to four units within the zip code within the past three months or within within the half mile radius what is and it called rentoometer.com cool you can analyze rent comps uh look at your taxes that's really important and then look at your city transfer taxes because that's a big one uh like if, for example you have to look at like if you're in modesto or if you're in oakland two totally different closing costs or acquisition costs uh, in terms of what you have to incorporate when you buy and sell a deal. The most important uh, rule of thumb that I was taught in terms of real estate was that you make your money when you purchase a property, not when you sell it. Kind of like how Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock once said, yeah, the movie's done. I just need to film it. <laughs> so timing, it sounding like timing is everything in that sense. Yeah. Timing is everything you have to. Uh, yeah. So with single family homes, unfortunately, you know, um, I, I, I haven't done it in a while, so I'd be kind of out of tune in terms of analyzing the deal. Um, but I do believe in sweat equity. So like the more messed up the property is, the more if it's burnt down, half of it burnt down, and if I get a really good deal, you know, a lot of people are going to stay away from that. And that's where I'd like to come in. Or like these houses that I dealt with uh, when I first started out, like crack homes, squatter homes. Yeah. A lot of people didn't want to deal with that. You know, I'm young. And I uh, have the energy and the drive to deal with it. I'll, I'll gladly do it. And not only are you going to make some money, you're going to learn a lot. Started from the bottom. Now you're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Love I to still, hear yeah, it. Love the come uh, up. Yeah. I still feel like, you know, I, uh, after what, like seven or so deals, I still feel like I'm now transitioning into intermediate. <laughs> almost there. It sounds like though. Almost. almost you know, I mean, yeah, that's in California. Again, that's eight units in California. If you're anywhere else in the United States, maybe barring like New York, you, you probably have a lot more units. Yeah. So I think that I was looking at a deal in Florida just to analyze and with, I could have 20 units or 30 units or 40 units in, in, uh, in Florida, but you know, each one is collecting like 600. This fourplex that I had and the, the one that I just sold, what, three a one three bedroom two bath unit. I was renting it out for twenty nine hundred dollars a month. The other ones were two bedrooms mm-hmm. one bath. I was paying them out for twenty three hundred dollars a month. Wow. That property was grossing with laundry income over ten thousand dollars a month, and that's only four units in the Bay Area. And why did you decide to sell then? Well, uh, I got in and I told myself that I'm going to hit this mark, and. I talked to my realtor and long story short, we agreed that right now is a good time to get out. Uh, The property is located in East Oakland and going back to the state of the economy within the next two years, we don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to get stuck in East Oakland during, you know, an economic turn. I don't want to find out what that's like. I don't want to sit. I don't want to be in East Oakland for the next four years or three years, not knowing what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Sounds scary. It is, it is, it is, it is is kind of scary. And if I could get my margin of my, if I could get my ROI that I had since the beginning, then why not? I'm not going to try to get overly greedy and be like, oh, we could squeeze it for another hundred thousand dollars. No, we got to stick with the game plan, Mm -hmm. be disciplined and move on, move on. Yeah. You stick, you stuck like, you stuck to your 
your plan all along. You didn't deviate from that, which is important in investing I, as well. Yeah, I bought the property. I, I with experience, kind of uh, came up with an exit plan, and I had to stick with it. I had to stick with it. And if let's just say I could get more than that, obviously that's great. But I'm more than happy with what I got and move yeah. on. It takes emotion out of the equation too. If you have something written, you down cannot prior. be emotional with these things. Maybe in the first two times, yeah. <clears throat> but after you you get some traction and some properties under your belt, after your third or fourth, you really need to take the emotions out of it, um, because that that could be very dangerous. I would imagine so. Same same way in the stock market, you can't be emotional there. <laughs> Yeah, money doesn't care about your feelings, right? No, it, it doesn't give a shit. It doesn't although care. the although the stock market is essentially like a graph of emotions, it's, it's nothing but emotions. But yeah, isn't it like a representation of human behavior? Seriously, like, like fear and excitement and yep. whatever. I don't even feel like there's any fundamental analysis anymore. It's just, <laughs> it's just literally people tracking what's going on in the news and making investments based on that, that and information. It, and a lot of it is sound. And then there's always like that goofy, like element, like a CEO gets caught sending like a dick pic and it crashes, <laughs> like <laughs> it yep. crashes the whole like stock for the day. And there's so many, so many crazy yeah. stories about how the market's <laughs> been reacting to such stupid news that I've heard in the past 12 months. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's the rise um, of the real retail investor. Yeah, I think that uh, with real estate, uh, I, I know myself. And if I wanted to sell, the good thing about real estate, and it could also be a bad thing, depending on what situation you're in, how fast the transactions can go. With stocks, I have little experience with it. You know, it, I've never been successful whatsoever with it. But a lot of the times I would just, you know, sell, buy, sell, sell, buy. And it's just a click of a button, right? Mm-hmm. With real estate, like I can't just push a button. Sure. It takes weeks, if not months, I have to find a buyer. And by yep. the time my excitement levels and I could calm down and I could actually think about what sure. I'm going to be doing. I think I'm, that's why I'm, I'm naturally attracted to real estate as well, because I'm, I prefer not to have the option of having the liquidity just like that, because it yeah. feels like it's something where I would be monitoring it all the time. And I just, it would take time away from other things that I could be making money off of, or something else that I could be learning in the meantime. I'm just the personality that I'm always looking at it. And I know that because of my fantasy football roster. I literally, I've invested like 20 bucks in that and I'm like glued to my screen. That's why I or, hate playing it. Cause I'm like always a, on it. If you have a couple of drinks on you too, like, Oh, I know what I'm doing. Boom. Like, <laughs> <laughs> big mistake. Uh, big mistake. Big mistake. Uh, and going back, you know, uh, going back to what we talked about earlier uh, about, where I'm at with my positions, mm-hmm. it, I, I didn't even start growing that net positions until like my last three deals. My first two deals or three or so, um, I, I didn't enter a 1031 exchange. So I kind of cashed up with the cash in my pocket. And I was in my mid twenties, late twenties. I got married, uh, spent money on credit cards. And I had, uh, with 1031 exchange, I don't even touch the money. So... I, for the first, all the profits from the first deals, since I cashed out, I ate them all up. I ate all of it up. You know, I mm-hmm. bought stupid shit. Uh, I w- went on vacations and then so forth and so forth. So if you're the kind of person, like, I think you sound a lot more disciplined with your money than I am. <laughs> uh, every every now and then I, I, I have my little lapses in judgment, but it's okay. Right. With the 1031 exchange, I can't touch it. And if I want to, I have to pay 33% or 30 or 20, whatever tax bracket you're in to, to get a dollar, to get any money off of it. What, so what, does that money hit your bank account ever? Or is it just, is no, it something where it's never, just automatically transferred? Never, that never, that, so I sell the property, right? It goes into uh, the escrow company, sends it to a 1031 exchange intermediary. Mm. Yeah, they hold the money and then they okay. send, and then they send it off to the buyer and everything was done through title. So none of that okay. money ever hits your money, uh, gotcha. ever hits your pocket. Sure. Okay. They, yeah, that makes sense. It, it, it really does work like a 401k in that sense then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, th- that money never hits my bank account or anything like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you've definitely given me some ideas because obviously I'm in a single family property right now and I'm renting out rooms individually, house hacking, if you will. But my next investment is definitely going to be multifamily after hearing all this information um, that we've talked about. 
don't get me wrong. I, I think what you're doing is great. Uh, I, I admire what you're doing, especially at your age and with the climate of the economy right now. I, what you're achieving is phenomenal. Uh, and I think that what you just said is a good sense of direction, in my opinion. I think that uh, once you move on from this, then you go into a triplex, duplex, mm-hmm. fourplex. And in your area, you, you get a little bit more bang for your buck. You get yeah. five for the price of a duplex out here. Sure. Well, the, the conversations I had with you and Nick at my at ESA's party, that yeah. was that was something that really shifted my idea of what my next step would be because I I initially was thinking of just buying single family and just using my own my the own money that like I earned from my my position and my sales role to invest in those properties. But then after hearing about the ways that you can leverage the 1031 exchange and use that money to essentially continue compounding your your growth. It, it just kind of changed the game for me. So I really appreciate all that information. It definitely changes the game. I think that, and also depending on where you're at, you, you could run your dollar more to make more money. You know, if you buy two single family homes for, yep. I don't know what the price, like $300,000, you know, you're 600,000. You could buy multiple units. You could buy four or five units, depending on where you're at for $600,000. Uh, don't quote me here. I mean, it all depends sure. on where market you're in. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then awesome. once you get yeah. Go on. Sorry. And then, yeah, once you talk to you, once you get your uh, depreciation in, uh, you can write it off against your income. And on that fourplex that I had that I just sold, I didn't pay a dollar on the income because I depreciated it. You know, there's obviously depreciation recapture, but that's way more complicated. And that's a conversation for your CPA. But <laughs> disclaimer. disclaimer. Again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you can, you make money off these fourplexes, fiveplexes, whatever. And depending on what kind of schedule you have on your depreciation, it goes against your income, you know, so you don't really have to pay anything uh, yeah. in terms of taxes. And for, again, before I let you go here, do you mind def- defining depreciation for people that don't know? So depreciation, uh, well, I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> so <laughs> you, uh, you, you buy a house that's worth a million dollars. And or you, depending on what kind of schedule you have, you could put a depreciation schedule of like five years or 10 years or 15 years or whatever mm-hmm. your CPA recommends. You basically uh, depreciate like, let's just say, for example, $10,000 from your $100,000 home. And mm-hmm. that will go as a write-off. And in year mm-hmm. two, you write off for 10000 And you're yep. basically uh, um, kind of like scaling down the, the worth of your property, mm-hmm. I guess, in terms of the IRS. But you're sure. doing it against your income if you're collecting income on the property. Sure. So in, in a nutshell, your... The, the, the amount of money that you made in that year is decreased after you're able to write off the depreciation on your, on your property. Yeah. It's a, like an expense. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, last thing that I, I wanted to cover before I let you go here, I just wanted to know if there's any last piece of advice that you would give somebody that's you know, barely starting off into real or investing into real estate today. Um, any like closing anything, thoughts, closing like thoughts, any- anything. Yep. Like, like anything, uh, it, it's not easy. It's not going to be easy. And you really have to work hard and get your hands dirty. Um, and don't get disheartened by, you know, you can't enter, you can't enter. Uh, the opportunity will present itself. You just need to remain disciplined and consistent, you know, and don't be, don't be scared. Uh, I, I know that it's easier said than done to, you know, Hey, you know, don't be scared, but if your numbers make sense, there's nothing for you to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there is a problem, there's always a, is a solution. There always is a solution. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just you come up with your game plan and uh, stick to it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris, for your time. Really appreciate it. I think that today was really valuable for everyone listening. So thank you again. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to staying connected. Appreciate it, man. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no worries. Uh, have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much. All right. Uh...